Welcome, friends, to another exciting episode of Untold Riches. We're at episode 21. Can you believe it? Two one, we can legally drink now. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I think we talked about it last week, but actually, we are now in the top like one percent of podcasts because apparently, like almost everybody quits before episode twenty. So we're in like everyone from here is just cream on top. Honestly, we could quit now and still be, uh, but we're not going to because it's amazing. So how you been, man? And we are on the cusp of advertisers so we're about to retire from the game we're gonna we're gonna go live on a, on a tropical island somewhere dude we're there and it's i, all have, been, I have been like looking into monetizing podcasts and it looks like at our current like listenership which is more than the four people we joked about last week uh we're looking at possibly dozens of dollars so it's very Ooh, exciting. we are in the double digits for dollars dozens all right, so of dollars. before we get started and then we'll get jt's take on this yeah um who are our ideal let's like pitch it to the world let's manifest it because we're Ooh. new Year's resolutions it's the 20th of january i know that i'm a little late to the party on this but who do we want as our ideal advertisers who would be from the, the hip anybody who will give me money but like going a little deeper would yeah. be uh I don't know, like health and personal wellness would be really nice. Anybody who like gyms, therapies, aromatherapies, anybody who wants to promote that stuff uh, would be exciting for me. I'd love to talk spots about Manscaped. I love uh, personal pooping oh, devices. Hygiene is great. Right? Um, hold on. I want to dig deep here. Uh, I think top of the list would be Dairy Queen. Uh, for me. If DQ would come at us and they were like, hey, you know what? The game changer, untold riches, those guys – uh, they they take they tackle the hard hitting questions and they are guests best best guests for Ooh. sure I definitely feel that um, I would just take blizzards I would just show up turn my blizzard upside down and then eat it and it would just be ASMR of you and me eating Oreo blizzards for an hour we would eat blizzards live I've seen you eat honestly it would be five minutes of that and then you would be talking and I would be like nursing my blizzards still be eating, yeah for like yeah. an hour. Because my first job was at Dairy Queen, and I know all the secret menu blizzards. I know how to do a cone appropriately. There's a technique. You don't think those bulbs ha happen accidentally, you know, on a on that an ice cream true. cone. So a let's good go Dairy cone. Queen. Good balls twist cone where they twist properly. So anyway, Dairy Queen, or on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, health and wellness. Either way, <laughs> bring, me your, bring me your tired, your, your poor, your huddled masses, only not tired and poor. Because we want them to, to pay us for podcasting. So either way, very exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned on our last episode, this is this is exciting. This is our first return guest. He was here for episode nine. Yeah. Uh, and as I've like the joked the way you joke about things that you really want, like I want us to be real friends. So like we've actually talked on the physical telephone, like it's the '90s a couple of times, and it's been a real joy. Um, I know Richard. Uh, you met him just a little while before we interviewed him. Uh, but with the start of the new year, felt like a good time to take stock, to look forward into 2023. And I don't know a single person more qualified than our own resident Tony Stark, JT Treadwell. Woo! Resident Tony Stark. Here he Boom. is. The Futurist. man. The myth. Phenom. The myth because we've seen him twice now, but definitely the legend. Oh, my gosh. What's up, buddy? You guys are hilarious. Hey, hey how are you guys? Happy uh, New Year. Happy... Thank All you. of the things. How are you guys looking into January? Good. Just hopeful and uh, eager. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, no, feeling good. I was telling Peyton the other day, odd years are my best years. 
the even years, they I struggle even years. I don't know what it nice. is. I got married. I met my wife in an odd year. Uh, got married in an odd year. Uh, had my best sales year ever in an odd year. Started my coaching business in an odd year. All odd years are the are the years. So whenever I get I to an odd that. year, that's what I'm that's what I'm going for. I mean, you, you speak it and you manifest it, but that's an interesting reflective perspective. I'd I'd, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. All right. Well, we are excited to have you. And Peyton, I mean, he was pushing for this because let me tell you, he's become quite the fan. I really oh, the fan. It's true. It's true. So we're pumped. I like them tall, dark, and handsome. And when they're smart and can speak well, uh, you got me by you got me by the short hairs there, JT. You got the so hand. I was really happy to have you on. Um, I appreciate you guys. I had a blast the last time. Lots of great reception. You guys are awesome in person and digitally. So it's just, it's always a pleasure to be back. Love My it. wife says that I'm really good digitally, but anyway, we'll leave that on the cutting room floor. Uh, <laughs> I do like that Richard mentioning the cyclical nature, like odd and even. The first thing that stuck out to me was embracing the fact that life kind of goes in seasons, like to everything there is a season, and you have to embrace that and ride out those troughs and then get back to the top before you can kind of coast again. And so I, I appreciate that, and I'm not surprised by it. Richard's always got a good attitude, but I thought that was pretty cool. Nope. So what's funny is I've actually been reading a book that I wanted to share with you guys, and you guys just teed it up perfectly without even realizing it. So there is a book um, by Richard, by William Strauss and Neil Howe that focuses on the different generations. It kind of mm -hmm. talks about the seasons, but think about it in a much larger wavelength with regard to the different generations that we actually are in. And those generations lead into different life events so the book is actually entitled um, Generations, The History of America's Future from 18, from 1584 to 2069. Ooh. And the book kind of highlights four main generational cycles that mm -hmm. are different cultures, different generations, cause these different social or religious booms that mm -hmm. shape how our world thinks. And they call these things turnings. So roughly every 20 to 50 years, there's another turning. And then we have another social unrest. We'll have another war. We'll have another, maybe another pandemic, things of that nature that will reshape how the different generations think. And depending on where you are, when that kind of social con and that social thing happens, you turn out and have a different impact on the next generation, which causes all these different cycl cyclical perspectives um on how the world is shaped so it's a really fascinating concept so when you said every other year that's one way to look at it but i've been doing research on you know roughly 20 to 50 year shapes and apparently we're due for another turning um you know we just had a pandemic and there's a lot of social unrest in a lot of different areas but the yeah, world years ago we had changing. yeah 20 years ago yeah, we had exactly. 11 20 years before that we had i guess money and cocaine in the 80s. I don't really know, but it was a pretty exciting time. Free love before that. Mm -hmm. um, it speaks to the ghost in the machine, right? No matter how perfectly you build a system, there's going to be little teeny things that tend to happen that you can't control. And I think the smaller the world becomes, the more we forget that we're not in control, Absolutely. that we're part of something bigger and that you can't plan for that. You just have to take it you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. It's one of my favorite quotes I never use. Like, and then you do, and you're like, Mike Tyson quote. Right. But it ties into the Rocky quote, which it doesn't matter how hard you hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep getting back up. Exactly. And I think that it's, 
we've been getting slammed by some waves the last few years. And I think 2023 is a new opportunity for everybody with fresh eyes to move forward. Okay. Hey, I have a question. Yes. Did your just boxing references come from the fact that JT's got a boxing shrine uh, behind him on the wall? I'm a machine too. And it's gotta be a ghost in there. Probably. Yes. Probably. Like, it didn't even know. It didn't even know because we're just like little, we're just like little computers that did the do stuff. We don't even realize we're doing. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I like it. I Recognition. Like it. That's that's a um, Muhammad Ali signed piece there. So I'm Ooh. glad to hear it. That's cool. Yeah, that is. Well, all right. Also, we need an origin story on that real quick. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had more for origin story. My wife bought it for me for my birthday, so I don't know where it came from or <laughs> where the backstory. Besides, I came home what? one day and it was a surprise, and I was like, "Oh crap! This is friggin' awesome." Yeah, that is super cool. That is, right. Shout out to your wife. That's, that's yeah. Awesome. Richard was like expecting that you as like an eight year old meeting Muhammad Ali and whatever. Yeah. In that case, it would be all like scratchy scratchy. But anyway, um, yeah, no. So that's <laughs> you got. We should jump. write the origin story of that though. Like that should be that should be an hour. We should burn an hour on going like let's do the origin story of this that never happened. But then exactly. that we're moving the forward. novelization. Well, that's that's for the autobiography is what that is where you the, the multiverse right. The all right, well, JT, what are some burning thoughts, right? We talked a lot last time. We leaned into the futurism. We got some context on you. For anybody who doesn't know JT, we don't want to burn a lot of time reintroducing somebody who's extra special. We want to use this time to its fullest. What are some things, some takeaways, some ahas, some moments of realization that you've had recently that you're like, let's get into it. Let's jump into it. What are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Let's go. Oh, my goodness. I think that, geez. We are on the cusp of doing something really transformative with mm -hmm. understanding our understanding of society. Mm -hmm. I feel as though we're on the precipice of, again, I've talked about it, like a turning or the technical term, mm -hmm. I think, can be put aside. I think it's the fact that as a society, we, I'm not sure if we're coming or going, but I mm -hmm. think it's the kind of the chaos factor that's really taking us to the next level. Um, my personal vantage point on this is. I'm learning to flex the muscle or grow the muscle of turning chaos into structure. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a society, we've gotten away from that because everything comes to us structured. Everything's packaged. Everything's mm -hmm. capitalist. You know, you buy this kit, everything you need. Yep. Um, and so with the pandemic, with the world as we know it now, um, I personally have been on a, on a voyage probably for the last six or so months um, especially as an entrepreneur, you guys know this quite well. Deals light up, everything's set up, and then something shifts, something moves. It, it doesn't quite hit the target the way you thought it would. A lot of things of that nature happen. Um, you know, sometimes you have a streak of you know hitting it right on the head, but sometimes your alignment and your perspective is out of whack, and so your your targeting system is off. You're not able to hit the target like you'd like. And so for me, it's just been a focus on how do I learn, how do I strengthen the skill set of listening and being aware of my surroundings, where I'm at, my perspective, and how do I learn to kind of turn and accept that chaos, being able to sit with it, and then start to strategically think about how to put order to chaos. And the reason I say that is because I've learned over my years of life <laughs> that the, there will always be, always be seasons of chaos. There will always be new seasons, a new start, a new beginning, um, my wife and I were recently discussing spring and she loves to garden, loves to plant. And so that takes some planning to go to the nursery, figure out what plants we're going to plant this year. You know, she wants to do the whole greenhouse thing, but we have to plan for spring. 
And it felt a little odd to me that it's January 15th and I'm talking about planning for spring. But yesterday she noted to me that there's a tree in our front yard that already has buds on it. Mm -hmm. And that just really struck me. I was like, wait a minute, it's January. Where I'm yeah. from, I'm expecting winter to be all of, you know, until, you know, maybe April, maybe May, then spring will finally kick in. But I'm learning that in order to sit with the chaos, I have to do two things. I have to, one, be comfortable sitting in it and being able to find the structure and find my peace in it so I can function. But two, I need to be in a position where I can actually think ahead to the season that's coming next so I can be prepared for it and know exactly what I want out of that season in order to make sure I'm aligned to hit my targets. It's funny you mentioned the seasonal shift because Richard and I are native, and I'll be frank, this is unseasonably warm weather. But the tree you you actually uh, you mentioned budding speaks to what you're talking about. It's there's a quote floated to mind from Game of Thrones, uh, whether you watch it or not. Chaos is a ladder. Chaos is opportunity. A perfectly organized system. Think of it like people joining hands in a prayer circle. For you to join, someone has to let go and take your hand. And if they won't let go, if that system's too perfect, you can't find a niche. And that right. tree. Oh, it wants to be 50 degrees? Great. I'm going to go ahead and pop some buds. Now, it doesn't always work out. That thing might freeze over, but yeah. it's taking advantage of that chaos that we're having with the unseasonable weather. And I like that like life finds a way. I don't know why quotes from movies are just popping up right now, but I'm just feeling it, dude. But I do think that amidst that chaos, it creates opportunity because you can reinstitute a new order in time for it to break apart again and then rebuild again. Um, yeah. Yeah, institutionalism has to be broken down for new things to grow. Exactly. That's fascinating. So one of my, you know, and feel free to insert this on the screen, and it's mm -hmm. probably the oldest example on the planet, but have you guys ever heard of, and I hope I didn't mention this in the last podcast, um, plate spinners? Like the old plate circus spinning. trick? Uh, where I've they heard of plate stick and they would put a plate on top and they would get one plate spinning yeah, yeah. and they would get another stick and get another plate spinning on top of the stick. And it's I a whole circus Yeah, it's, ama it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. But I think that's a euphemism for life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, we get in a position of just spinning the plates that have already been put in place, mm -hmm. um, keeping things going, paying the bills, doing the routines. Mm -hmm. However, what happens when one plate crashes into another, crashes into another, and then you have a whole bunch of plates on the floor? Mm hmm. What's your process? What's your mechanism by which you're able to pick those sticks back up, pick the plates back up? If they broke, get a new one. How do you stand back up your processes um, right. in the midst of chaos, in the midst of you know a storm or a freeze, something that throws off your current um, process? So for me, it's failure. about learning how to strengthen that muscle. Yeah. yeah. So my favorite thing, I remember I watched, I was like watching an old Ed, Ed Sullivan show clips on YouTube and they had the plate spinner from like the fifties who was just going back and forth, zipping really fast. It's like a classic two or three minute video of him. And it's yeah. genuinely amazing. But the thing that struck me was like, I go to my basement, I go to work cause I got a baby upstairs. He's napping. I can't be talking on the phone. So my wife puts me down here in my cave and I got to sit here and I do that. And that's fine. But like, even though I'm working, I still get, sometimes get like like shit, like, hey, can you give the baby lunch? And I'm like, it's fine. I'm working from home. So I'm picturing this plate spinning guy. There's no office for plate spinning. He's not going to a place with a bunch of plate spinners spinning plates. He's in his garage. He's spinning plates. His wife, Gladys, is in there telling him his ham sandwich is ready, yelling at him like, God damn it, Jim, you're in there spinning plates again. Can you just go? whatever? And I just picture this guy like, Gladys, Gladys, I got to work on my plate game. 
And I don't know why, but it just, it fills my heart with, you can see like genuine joy to consider that like 1947 era argument between a husband and wife about the importance of spinning, you know, corningware. Like it really yeah. brought me joy. So anyway, that was my little, my non sequitur. <laughs> I don't want to kill the podcast. It was just funny. But uh, but yeah, so plate spinning. So what can we do? Another thing for me is is like personal setbacks. Like you're not always at your best. Sometimes you yep. drop a plate. So your, your headspace, your preparation, mm -hmm. you got to have extra plates. You got to have a table long enough to add plates. It takes Absolutely. a lot of planning. So what can the average person do when they're reading headlines that are pretty scary? Because all headlines are always scary all the time because it's about money. Um, to inure themselves to the bad news, but it kind of extract from it the knowledge they need to move forward. Is there a structure you can apply in your personal life to that? So that's that's actually something that I'm working on. So the mm -hmm. way I look at it is, and I'm going to use a pull a futurist concept for a, sec, a second. Mm -hmm. um, researchers found that when you ask individuals to picture themselves in two, five, ten years, and then they did a brain scan, nothing lights up. Nothing, just crickets. But when you ask them to think about themselves, current day, current state, the part that handles and manages self-preservation and recognition lights up in your brain. But researchers have also found that if you help individuals, train individuals on that connection and how to see themselves in the future, then your brain does start to light up in that same self-recognition center of the brain. And so in the same way that that literally is a muscle from a mental model that you can explore and expand and strengthen, I also think that this kind of process of navigating chaos mm -hmm. is absolutely a muscle that you can strengthen. And so I do have a, a little bit of a process, a little bit of a methodology that I'm developing, developing around um, this concept of Kubernetes, like self-governance. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the idea of how do you take the unknown, take the chaotic, how do you take your desires and your wishes and your kind of manifestations and kind of shove that into reality. And so it's a it's a part mental perspective where you have to take a take look and take stock of who you are, where you are, what you want. It's part kind of project management in the sense of here's how I apply that to my daily life. But ultimately, I think over the last year or two, I've come to realize that it's much more than that. It's it's a life philosophy of in order to learn how to stand up, you kind of have to fall. You have to be on the ground. Like in order to use certain muscles, you, in order to strengthen your knee, you have to work it out. Like in, in order to get muscles, you have to work out that particular area. And so kind of like to your point, Peyton, inuring yourself, I don't think that's actually possible. But I think instead strengthening the muscle of rebuilding, standing back up, reassessing, reevaluating, using introspection and retrospection to really evaluate where you are and where you want to be, and then being able to pick yourself up. Because here's the difference. A lot of times in life, we find ourselves in a dead-end job. We find ourselves in positions that we don't necessarily want to be in. Mm -hmm. Not only is that hard, that a lot of times is impossible for most people because they only know how to stand up in their current position. They don't know how to, you know, as Tipeee you have a toddler, they kind of scuttlebutt. They kind of just scurry around <laughs> on their knees and then they may stand up in a different place wherever they want to be, right? So I think also as humans, we need to learn how to strengthen that muscle of, okay, we've fallen. I recognize that the plates fell. I've fallen down, whatever analogy you want to use. Now, how do I pivot to, well, one, am I happy here? Do I just stand back up where I am? Is this worthwhile investing 
and standing back up and going forward with what I have? Or is this fallback an opportunity for me to kind of scuttlebutt to a new area, to a new functionality, to a new career, to a new place in, you know, in life, to a new friend group, right? Um, and then start to build there. I'm building from scratch anyhow because I've fallen down. So now how do I take this opportunity, build this muscle to stand back up and get, get a fresh perspective? And that really just takes practice, exercise, and a dedication to understanding what that looks like. So there's some things I'm working on, possibly a book, possibly a podcast. I haven't decided just yet, but it's this whole notion of like this whole space of self-governance and finding and establishing your vision and then knowing when to stand up, when to fold, when to move, when to pivot, and how do you fold that into your life skills of quickly being able to assess, hey, this isn't worth my time. This is cross, this is cross the boundary. Let me scuttlebutt to a new area. Let me invest more and me pour back into it. But you know, you ask any entrepreneur who's built five, 10 businesses, then uh, maybe they're a new near to it to that point, but their knees, their hands, everything has calloused over, right? They're used to the pain of this. They're used to ask any athlete, right? Um, any Olympian, they know the pain. I think I was reading some, I saw a TikTok about violinists. I had no idea that from this motion, they typically have huge calluses on their on their necks and on their or clavicle area really? because of the pain and how much they play that and you don't see that you just see the beautiful violinist that's all you see mm -hmm. that and you hear but the pain and, and the suffering and the calluses that they have to endure to be to hold that position for that mm -hmm. long to be able to perform for others that's what i'm talking about here so the idea of being able to build that callus but understanding what sacrifices are you making to build that callus yeah. and is that worthwhile the flip side, like guitarists, really great guitarists will play till their fingers bleed. And sometimes your fingers got to bleed before you build that callus up if you want yep. it bad enough. You mentioned my son who's who's crawling right now and he's learning to stand up and stuff like that. And it, what struck with me is he learned to crawl two months early, but he never got on his knees. He army crawls everywhere. And he's been crawling for almost three months now and he's already standing. And my wife and I were talking about it. She's like, well, what is it to start walking around like a baby, you know, like crawling around? On hands and knees. I, said, I don't think he, he's going to do that. He's found right. his own path. He's got what we're, he's fast. He can turn on a dime. He's got a lot of dirty chests on his onesies, but he doesn't care. So he's found his own way, self-determination. Yes. You know, one of the things I was going to ask when you, when you started mentioning this was, is it more visualization or is it more planning? But it seems to me, and it makes sense that restructuring your brain, the way you see yourself, probably starts with a goal, a vision board of whatever you want to be, but then breaking it down into smaller bites and seeing where you're going to be at each stage. You know, Superman didn't leap a tall building in one go. It took a few. I'm sure he bashed into a couple of windows before he got over the peak. And I, I think, and the audacity to fly is also struck right. me. It's like thinking of Man of Steel, where he's just in the Arctic, like pushing against nothing, going, maybe I can fly. I don't know. And he just flies. Like you don't know what's going to happen. You just, Maybe I can't. Nobody told me I couldn't. I can do all this other cool stuff. Yeah. Why not exactly. fly to do it? Now, word word of, of warning to those of you who may wish to fly. Um, a lot of times you'll hear about people jumping off a roof. If you can fly, it works just as well from ground level. So give it a try with that first. Just word of the wise, I may have been nine or ten years old and given that a shot off the garage once. Uh, didn't go well. Yeah, and uh, blankets don't help. Blanket parachutes don't help. No, exactly. no, not at all. You've got to have at least a couple hundred feet to really catch some wind. And sheets are a little heavy. 
That's right. So but Jason, what, what you just highlighted is the idea of risk tolerance and risk acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also an important factor to understand. You know, if you want to go launch that business, it's not easy. There's risk there. You are not secured as you are in a full nine to five role. So mm -hmm. what's your risk tolerance? Are you in a position where you can handle that risk, where you can handle that pain, where you can build those calluses um, of that experience in order to launch your business? Right. Um, I read a statistic that most successful like startup founders are like in their mid 40s. Mm -hmm. That's not what you hear on social media. You hear 18 year olds. I'm a millionaire. I've, you know, created an ad for, you know, TikTok and they paid me millions of dollars. And I'm now, you know, creating content. I'm a content creator. And it's like, that's great. And that's not the norm. No, I have a, I have my six-year-old watches, you know, Dude Perfect and stuff on YouTube. And when you ask him what he wants to be, it's like, I want to be an astronaut or a policeman or possibly YouTube. And I'm like, I, as a person who grew up, like, you can be anything you want to be. I'm like, you can't be on YouTube. That's like one out of a billion people makes a, no, you got to find a trade, get good at it and see if they're hiring. All right. That's pick anything else. Be a plumber. I don't care. But be the, be a plumber on YouTube, but don't throw trick shots. It's not going to happen. But it is funny, like you mentioned, you got to be willing, you got to risk it to get the biscuits. So my dad always used to say, yeah. and he's an older guy and an entrepreneur as well. And there is an element of that. That's how Richard and I became partners. Basically, I was stationed to sedentary. We were both in comfortable positions when we met, mm -hmm. but both of us were not reaching what potential we perhaps saw for ourselves. And I think we recognized relatively quickly. It was like, oh, it's like building the double decker bunk beds and stepbrothers where we're like, oh, shit we're both nuts. Like, let's just go the, do the coolest thing we can think of and push ourselves. Did we just become best friends? Yeah. Yes, we did. Like there was an element of dreaming bigger and being willing to just honestly jump off the garage roof and see if the sheet would catch you. And it's you bring that up because I was having a conversation with somebody one time and just, just existing, right? I was actually at a um, speaking gig uh, that I was preparing and, and, and uh, some folks tagged along uh, cause I got put up in a nice, uh, like resort property and it was, it was like a $6 million lakefront property. It was cool. And, uh, while we were there, I was just preparing for it, kind of going through the story, going through the, 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 the elements of the speech, talking about like the different topics we were going to go through and, uh, you know, how I was like envisioning it going, going. And, uh, the person I was there with, they just, they just made this kind of like comment. They go, I could never do what you're doing. And I was like, I'm not doing, I'm just sitting here getting ready for talking tomorrow. Like I'm the best talker on the planet. Like this is easy, right? Like this is, this is, no, no, he's like, no, no, no. I, I think you mistake. Like I would never, I would never put myself in a situation that is as uncomfortable as what you're doing mm -hmm. in, in the grand scheme of things. He was like, that level of risk is, is not something that I would welcome or want to embrace because I like I the control relinquishing control on your life mm -hmm. and where you're headed is a terrifying prospect for many. And I think that people assume like these entrepreneurs are just like, oh, it's just I have this risk muscle. I don't care. I'll, I'll try anything. The, it's something you develop. So it's not surprising to me to hear that a 40 year olds, mid 40s are people right. that tend to find the success. It's they were entrepreneurs at 18 trying to get, you know, the mm -hmm. the the. The, the the app that they 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 created in their you know bedroom while they were grounded and sold it to YouTube and made millions of dollars. They were trying to be that, but mm -hmm. it took them twenty five years, right. thirty years yes. to get to the point where all of a sudden all of the risk and all of that skill development, like there's a price to pay, right? There's a toll mm -hmm. to, cross, yes. to cross the ridge the, to cross the bridge to success. 
right? And you have to be prepared to pay that toll. Not a lot of people are. Some people are, but they'll pay it once and rarely is once enough. So are you willing to cross that bridge, pay that toll, seek and be ambitious and go? I'm willing to fall on my face. I'm willing to be hurt. I'm willing to lose everything because I'm all in on this. And it takes a different type of thinker. And there are times, there are definitely times where I where I consider, is it worth it, right? And so yes. yeah. that, 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 you know, you were talking about it even earlier, the thinking about where you want to be, envisioning that versus knowing where you are now. Um, and, and, and the dichotomy between those two mindsets. Mm-hmm. And, and I think entrepreneurs in general are able to have that vision further. Often that muscle or that part of their brain is something that they possess uh, more so than someone who is uh, who's maybe more comfortable in just being present and having control over their life circumstances. Yeah, you're not going to callous with if you only bleed once. It's just going to scab over and heal fresh and pink and rosy and ready to, you know, ready to cut again. You got to keep going and going and falling and picking back up. It's it's a cycle. And I I was on Facebook recently and I never go on social media and I never post anything. But my little cousin just had a baby and she posted a a, a meme of like, I'm joking aside, I'm legitimately scared to to, uh, scared to raise my child in this world. Mm. My my her grandmother, my aunt had posted and like and I, I I commented like a TLDR that I'll boil down to basically like don't be scared. Like there's a lot going on because growth is hard and we've turned a blind eye to others for so long, either knowingly or through circumstance. And now we're as societally more aware of, of what other people are experiencing and become and building systems, hopefully to improve the quality of life for all. But it's a painful process and that humanity is winning. Good is winning. There's 8 billion humans. We're not losing the fight. It's because we're prospering. And so I wrote this long thing and I don't know, she's like 24 and she's lovely, but I don't know if it's going to whatever, but it was very much like, I kind of felt my heart open up and I was like, no, it's, I have a little baby and no, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. More people are fed and healthy and loved and accepted and, and safe than maybe in ever all any of human history that I'm aware of. And it's just growing pains we're going through. And I think societally, we have to be ready to fall down and get back up. We have yeah. to be willing to struggle and suffer and, and sacrifice for the greater good, you yeah. know, not for just our children, but for all of them. But you can't lose hope. And that's where the entrepreneurial spirit or the self-actualizing spirit, I think, comes into play is, yes, the step-by-step process is important. But if you can't visualize yourself, if your brain's not firing, when you see five years down the road, that excitement goes away. And today's struggle loses all of its excitement. Because exactly. you forget where you want to go. And I but think that, is, yeah. People don't realize that hope and vision are siblings. You can't mm-hmm. have one without the other. If you don't recognize a vision, if you can't see something positive for your future, positive or negative, possibly, but if you can't see anything, you're stuck in the present day tense. And to Richard's point, a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs, and I think you know, maybe it's a personality type. Maybe it's a you know repetitive process that can turn people into entrepreneurs. That that willingness to sacrifice, to persevere, to you know keep keep cutting yourself, keep doing that thing over and over again to get those calluses built up in order for you to proceed in your you know c- career. I think a lot of people don't have that, and so the notion of you know your cousin twenty four twenty five, she may be looking at the current state of things and not realizing the progress that's been made. She hasn't been alive long enough. Right. To even exp- to experience Understood. it, and from an education standpoint, 
we we kind of whitewash a lot of history. We kind of created this mm-hmm. narrative that may or may not be accurate, but it's always through the guise of someone else's vantage point, right? Mm-hmm. And I agree that we do have more voices now than ever. We're growing to be more inclusive. Uh, we're growing to be more, um, as I call it, the platinum rule instead of the golden rule. So we're, we're, I know that rule. That's good. Please, please tell so, us more. So we're moving in that space, but if you can help someone find their vision and you can help, that means then you can help them find hope. They can start right. to see something that's not currently there. And I think the one thing I always try to tell people, vision is not just like, oh, I'm this visionary entrepreneur. I'm this visionary scientist or chemist. Really at this very basic point, your mind can conceive something that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Simply put, if you can envision something like, oh, it would be cool. If you can say the sentence, it would be cool if, Mm-hmm. Then you then you have vision. That means you have hope. That means you can see something your mind's eye can create. That means you can be creative. And so one of the things I wanted to mention, Peyton, you mentioned it in your child and you mentioned it in your cousin, is this sense of indoctrination that right. societal forms and norms have kind of molded everyone's brains into mm-hmm. a certain pattern, um, which I think benefits capitalism in some in some sense. Um, yeah. But more importantly, it's if you can help people break that mm-hmm. um, indoctrination, meaning you have to follow norms. So when you talked about you and your wife discussing if your son will ever crawl normally, that norm has been etched in your brain by television and books mm-hmm. and other children and other ways kids do things. So I actually must applaud you to, to say, hey, no, this is his most effective way. You know, this goes back to the whole strength finder argument. Instead of spending time trying to perfect your weaknesses, how about you strengthen your strengths? Right. And so instead of trying to say, hell no, you should crawl this way, get on your knees and this is how you crawl and then you crawl and stand. No, he's most effective doing the army crawl and he's gonna have crazy great delts and traps and oh, shoulders. Um, kids yoked, man, it's great. He's, he's so fast, I love him, I'm so proud of him. And he, I said, I didn't even, baby. yeah. No, I just hadn't even baby proofed. He just two months ahead of schedule. I was going to go for Christmas, and you know we were going to have baby proofing under the tree. And no, it was too late. I had to run to Home Depot. Um, but I think that's something we all fall into. Like so many people hold precious through the indoctrination things yep. that are meaningless. And I won't cite examples because everybody has different examples. But you know, actually, I will. Pronouns. It costs you nothing. Why do you care? Why are you talking about? There are other bigger issues we can fight over. And I said I don't want to get political, but like. Like, why? Why does anybody care? You know, what's up? Who gives a shit? What, like, why are you holding that precious to yourself? It costs you nothing. And if you can see it's important to someone else, why would you hold it close to your heart when it costs you nothing? And so many people out there are so set in what they believe a normal expectation should be for others, whatever that is. In any direction you throw a dart, you're going to hit something unfamiliar, right? And instead of accepting that this is everything to this person, and it costs me nothing. And yeah. all I have to do is let it happen. And it's fine. And nothing changes for me, except that I just don't have to care about that insignificant thing that doesn't affect me. And all these people walk around all the time firing each other up over stuff that is just meaningless. And they lose sight, again, of that grander vision. They get caught on this little teeny step someone else is taking. that they don't. It's a stepping stone they don't even need to take. And exactly. they pull it out from under somebody else. And I think that so- collaborative spirit gets undermined in mm-hmm. public consciousness because it, there's so much fear in the media and in how we perceive what we're fed on a, on a daily basis by the masses 
that it gets hard to just let it go and just live your life. Just stay in your lane, man. You know, whoever Absolutely. you want. Just let I know, it I know what you mean, Peyton. I've been, I feel like I've been persecuted a lot in my life for my deep passion for, for girly drinks or oh, whatever. Yeah. Sweet drinks, fruity drinks, whatever you want to call them. I will order a pina colada or a, a daiquiri or a Shirley Temple if I'm behaving myself with my dinner because it is delicious. delicious. Right? I mean, I have diabetes. I should probably back off that, but I'm serious. Like it is crazy how people look at you because they have, they have fallen into this mindset that you, you know, as a gender, we're typecast into behaving a certain way. And you know what I like? I like a lot of music. It's interesting because I've been complimented by it, but I've also been very judged and I don't care. I literally don't give a shit. I will order. If it's like 40 people that I'm trying to impress and they're all going around, they're like, you know, I'll scotch on the rocks and blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, give me a Shirley Temple, make it extra girly. And if I'm glory days, put a shark in it because I got a shark attack one that's awesome. And it spits blood out into the grenadine and it makes me happy in my heart. And you know what? If you got an umbrella, put an umbrella in my drink. That's and the mini straws. They're so mini good. Straws, if it's spinny and it has colors, even better. So it's just like, I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Two things happen on Thanksgiving that you guys just reminded me of real yeah. quick. One was someone offered me like a glass of wine that didn't have alcohol in it. And then like a beer that also didn't. And they're like, oh, do you want me to pick you up some beer? And JT, I'm sober uh, about a year at this point. And that's great. I'm loving it. But they were like, oh, well, you could just have the taste. And I was like, or I could have Kool-Aid. I want to get drunk. I'm not doing that. I'll just drink Diet Pepsi. It's delicious. I was like, why would I drink beer that doesn't get me drunk? That's dumb. So it was like, and it was just for my headspace. It, it resonated with me. Um, the other thing was, and it ties back into what you said, JT, was um, my wife said the nicest thing she has ever said to me. We were in her uncle's kitchen. It was Thanksgiving day and we were thankful for things. And she goes, she turns to me and she says, you, and she looked at me in a way that I'll be, I'll be honest, we've been together 10 years. She has not looked at me before. And she goes, you know what, Peyton, you, and it was very earnest. And she goes, you never quit. Never. You never quit. No matter what happens, you just do it. And she just said it. And that was it. And she left it there. Just dropped the mic. And I just, it was the nicest thing she has ever said to me. One of the nicest things anybody ever has. Hmm. And whether it's true or not, everybody has their up and down days. But it was like my closest ally and sometimes my greatest adversary. Game recognized game there. She looked at me right in the eyes and just said, and I appreciate that. Thank you for that. No matter oh. what, and it's just it's like, oh my gosh, that was really meaningful because life can bring you ups and downs. It wasn't even year, not an odd year for me, and uh, it was tough, and it was really validating. Now, I we've been talking up a storm, and I really I love it. But Richard wanted very specifically. Hold on, wait a minute. Before we go to that next topic, go, I want to okay. do one fun thing real quick. We're going to throw in a segment. It. it isn't really a segment, but it's a topic that I want to go over really quick. JT made me think of it the, just a few minutes ago. What is an idea? That you had, like we're all entrepreneurs here, right? We 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 we, we fail to quit. That's that that's our that's our main struggle. We fail to quit. Okay. We get we keep going with it. We we, we want to make big things happen. What's the what's the revolutionary idea, invention, concept that you've had at some point in your life? And I we can get get off on another tangent of there's no such thing as an original thought. But what is the thing that you think is your original thought or concept or idea that if you had endless resources, the support, the you the, to make it happen? What is it? Let's go. Let's pitch our crazy big idea that we've had. I want to do it. That's a segment. So our segment is uh, our entrepreneurial world game changers that we're going to pitch to the world right now. 
JT, I'm putting you on the spot. I don't want to catch you flat-footed, but I know you got something deep in there. What do you got? Sell it to us. So roughly, this is going to sound crazy. That's what I'm going for. Perfect. About 12 to 15 years ago, uh, my wife and I thought of a concept of a AI assistant for the elderly, especially that deals with Alzheimer's. So it would be able to understand their history, understand, note, recognize their family by voice recognition, things of this nature. And it would be a digital companion for the elderly who are dealing with maybe early stages of dementia or full-blown Alzheimer's to help them keep track of their life, to recognize what's going on, to recognize family members, to remind them to take their medicine. It is a digital like a pendant that stays with them, that's connected to all of their devices, to their pharmacy, to their doctor's office. It can contact the hospital, their, you know, ER, all sorts of things like that in case of an emergency, case of a fall like that. So mm -hmm. it would be truly a digital companion that would have their memories, it would have their photos, it would have these things, and it would proactively engage this individual um, who's dealing with maybe early onset dementia to help them remember photos, remember family, remember historical mm -hmm. events, remember things that happened, remember what year it is, remember who the president is. It would gauge them from a companionship perspective, but also help manage their life around them and also report um, their productivity um, or any potential happenings to their, you know, closely related family members who would they give permission to have this um, information and access. That's can I give it a name? Huge. I have a name. I have a name. Can I give it a name? I'm too excited. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you, Peyton. Can I have a name? Can I get, all right. Are you ready for my name? Here's the pitch. Cause this needs to happen, especially in light of what oh, we're about to talk about in a minute. Let's call it the geriatric Jarvis. Let's do it. That's my pitch. It's called the geriatric oh. Jarvis. And because you said no. it'll pend it, and it'll be like over their heart. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 Whip. Big whip. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. I got more. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. It's something also, if you were to develop that down the road, you could see that being almost an heirloom because it would encapsulate so much of their later life and capture moments yeah. and memories that you could then replay home movies or other stories you might lose. I lost my grandfather 15 years ago. If he had one of these things around his neck, all those moments, the weeks leading up to his passing would be a time capsule. And Absolutely. all the stories we shared, the memories would have been a tremendous, tremendous source of comfort and remembrance uh, on top of the day-to-day -day improvements that it would bring to those people's lives. That's a fantastic idea. I don't think we're that far away from something like that. No, absolutely. I mean, then it was asinine. Like we had a pitch deck. You know, my wife was in a um, one of her PhD classes. So we came with this idea and we had to do a pitch deck around it. We actually spoke to a couple of investors. The technology just wasn't there yet. We didn't have the skills. But as we approach, you know, more and more AI, it's it's becoming more and more. And that industry from a you know business perspective is just growing. It's just booming, unfortunately. But I think that means that people need um platforms and solutions that can really help that's non-intrusive um that provides safety for the in individual for the elderly uh, that's a, that's really important to us as well so i'm thinking back on when i proposed this um segment and we really should have let jt go last uh yeah. i don't want to share my <laughs> don't want to share my idea anymore that's okay because i think it was a well, perfect no, you share it. okay i've already shared peyton knows this idea peyton could probably really pitch this idea i'll just say one word smarketing you can pitch it, right? <laughs> oh, my God. So you're going to take it from here or do you want me to run with no, it? No, okay. you're pitching my idea because I've imagine, told you a thousand times already. Imagine a world where you you get a leaflet in the mail. You're watching a program on television, an ad comes on, or you're passing by a street corner and see a billboard or a, a, a posted bill 
for anything, any perfume, a cheeseburger, uh, fresh tires, uh, Christmas trees. And as you pass by, as you engage with this media, smells waft over you, a smell of grandma's cookies, the smell of fresh pine in your living room. And it becomes an, an assault, not only on your visual or auditory senses, but it also fills your mind and steals your memories of, of growing up, of these happy memories of your favorite hamburger, of the chili dog from the ball game you went to with your, your grandfather when you were a child, and it lures you in to take your money. It's marketing. Smell, smell marketing. Experiences. You guys do know that I, malls already do that. And oh, yeah, yeah. It's called Cinnabon. It. It's already used, but to like package this as like a multi-industry approach to doing experience. Like Disney does it. Uh, nightclubs will do it by pumping in, uh, you know, like pure oxygen to enhance experiences. They'll add scents to it. It's like why at open houses, real estate agents cook uh, cookies fresh. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, it's why, you know, in Disney, when you go to those, like the, the bug's life in the animal kingdom, right. you go in there and the bug farts and then you smell fart smell in the, like it, it, it's just it's it's experience. It's a terrible experience, but you remember it. That I remember true. that more than some of the other rides. It's uh, it's so powerful, and they've actually proven that the sense of smell is more more closely tied to memory and experiences than even your visual, yep. um, your your eating, um, your audible uh, senses. It's like one of the most, one of the most extreme ones. So that was it. That was the idea. Is just something to actually create like a marketing. We just call it marketing. We call it marketing. So. <laughs> It's out there. McDonald's oh, French fries. That is true. Uh, mine's airships. I think airships are cool. Uh, like the airship from Up. And I just wish that the Hindenburg hadn't gone up so that we could all be floating around in airships. Like if I had a billion dollars, I would absolutely live in a blimp. Uh, just like the one in Up. And it would be like a cruise liner and it would just float around and I would just cruise around at whatever, 50 miles an hour. And I'd never be in a hurry and I would telework and it would be amazing. And I think that we're missing an opportunity uh, with low energy cost. Uh, slower, but very exciting and luxurious accommodations in airships. Yeah, so like everybody wants to be in the sky. Yeah, basically, and you get to be up in the sky. It's amazing. You could like hang around, parachute from it. I don't know, but uh, it seems pretty cool. So airships. Can you imagine zip lining like thirty thousand feet in the air, like zip lining. Oh. Like there would be like all kinds of extreme things you could do, dude. We're all some ideas here, and if we tied all of this together, if we brought the geriatric Jarvis. Uh, the flying <laughs> ship and marketing all into one general idea. I think we're on to something, guys. Here, I think we're on to something. But Very that was so. a fun segment. That was a fun segment. Now, what I really want to do because I know that we're like we've got a little bit of time here left, and I want to make sure that we have this conversation. The people are asking, and I want to know because I'm nervous, excited, um, you know, uh, apprehensive. Uh, I'm feeling feelings, lots of feelings, lots of thoughts, thinking things about. AI, artificial intelligence, and you cracked that can wide open with uh, with 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 Jarvis and and helping the elderly. And I, and, I, and all joking aside, uh, both uh, sides of my 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 parents, both grandparents on both sides uh, in my family, both struggled with dementia and Alzheimer's, and it was a very slow, arduous um, unfolding of their life, and it was terrible. And having a service like that could have really, really enhanced their final year experiences. And so, so that's kind of crazy that this is something you thought of 15 years ago 
And here we are today firmly looking at artificial artificial intelligence with like chat GPT and Jasper and all of these other mm-hmm. platforms and things that can, 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 Oh, it's, it's insane. Like I had no idea. I, I, I watched a TikTok with Jordan Peterson and he was talking about, and I know he's controversial, but like he was talking about specifically what the capabilities could be when he and his company actually played with chat GPT for the first time. And I'm listening to it. And in three minutes or less, my brain exploded. <laughs> JT, I need to know what are your thoughts? How do you feel about it? What are the applications? What is it you being a futurist? sorry about that how is our future going (laughs) to unfold in spite of in light of artificial intelligence so i have several thoughts on this but i have to first say um a good buddy of mine who's an entrepreneur sent me a post and i'm gonna give credit here sean canungo i hope i'm saying his name right he i i highlighted that chat gpt and other similar platforms is a mirror um, and he had two revelations based off of this thing. We just, he and I just had this conversation yesterday. First, he said, it's not that like ChatGPT or these other AI tools are, can mimic human behaviors. He said, it's more that humans are actually mediocre robots. <laughs> because everything that we do, I mean, even, you know, at the top of this call, you guys have to help write a proposal or write, you know, a contract, something like that. We have built our society and built our capitalist structure in a way where that formulaic systems kind of suck the creativity and innovation out of human the human experience. And so everything we do is formulaic. Write an RFP, write a process, write an email, write a text, do this, do that, take out the trash, do the dishes. We have made ourselves into the robots. So now that we've built a robot that can do the menial tasks that we do, we're all, woohoo, this is going to replace humans. No, this actually creates so much opportunity for us to pass those menial tasks to technology and get back to innovating, get back to futuring, get back to envisioning, get back to having hope, getting back to being creative and have, you know, innovative new platforms and new systems. Um, I don't have time to think about the innovative next idea to say, I wonder if, right, or to explore different topics. If I have to write an email, if I have to write a check to pay a bill, if I have to go to the post office or swing by the grocery store and buy toilet paper, if all those tasks can be automated for me by AI, what does that free me up to do from an innovative, creative, from a passion, from a fun perspective? How do we get back to humanity instead of all the technical tasks that we've converted technology into being? I remember Um, it ties really well into I've always called myself a Star Trek socialist because it's idealistic. And it's impractical, but it's like I'm a humanist. Yeah. And it what you just said really reminds me of something. I remember a thought experiment I did with a group at my old job years ago. I asked like people from very different walks of life if every person for three generations was fed, safe, and educated, would it with no cost, would it be a net positive? And this is a very deeply religious person, a conservative person, and a liberal person. And all three of them, for three very different reasons. One of them was humans need bootstraps. One of them was people take what other people have. And the other one was without certain elements of spirituality, humans can't advance. And I said, well, but if everyone was safe, fed, and educated, then you'd have people all around the world who are lost to starvation or deprivation or anything else creating amazing things. And yeah, some people would want to play video games. They'd play, you know, uh, you know, whatever all day, and they would just die of 
8,000 pounds when they're 50, whatever. But there'd be other people who are falling through the cracks that could perhaps reach higher heights. And I think what you just said reminded me of that because it is like an ideal future where you don't have to struggle doesn't mean you can't advance. You can't create new struggles and new visions for yourself. You just get the dumb shit out of the way. I could not agree more. I've been more afraid. I'll just be real. I've been more afraid of what AI means because I, I'm a simple guy. You mm -hmm. say you guys have both said words that I don't know what they mean just on this podcast. And so knowing that about myself, like, you know, there's some competition. There's fear of uh, me being replaced mm -hmm. uh, by artificial intelligence. So it's been a little intimidating. Uh, I struggle to find words to explain how it makes me feel. But the way that you just articulated what AI can serve, and that I think is the main word, serve humans by replacing things that we just have, we have just come to grips with that it is just part of our human existence, mm -hmm. that all of a sudden you've removed those things, how do our lives change for the better mm -hmm. by having those things, right? You think about, you think about hearing what's like the number one thing you hear people say, if I had more what? I could do so much more if I had time. more time. This is, this is the solving of the time mm -hmm. problem potentially, yes. right? If you yeah. could say, I now have 12 hours a week that I can dedicate it to intentional thinking, the thought and creative process. Yes. How hard is it to find 30 minutes, let mm -hmm. alone 10 to 12 hours a week to just think about yeah. like to unlock the true power of your brain? Tony Stark had Jarvis and he built an Iron Man armor. I mean, it's a stupid example, but it's he had help. He he just said paint that some red, and then he went to a cocktail party. Like there exactly. is a liberation from the you know pedantic stuff we do every day. The, yep. the dumb like whatever. But if you had a robot brush your teeth and put your socks on, do everything else while you're busy writing a symphony in your head, not listen. There's gonna be some idiot hate monger that's got an eighth grade education who types something into a chat bot and and writes a, a Cambridge treaty. But for every one of those, there's a thousand people that are able to automate their emails and spend more time with their kids. And they don't give a damn about what this idiot just said. Like it's a it's a numbers game. Now the idiot's gonna get a lot of publicity and the thousand people aren't gonna be talking about how it's better their lives. That's the 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 singularity we really live in. We talk about a singularity of AI becoming conscious, but ultimately the singularity is we giving up our our agency to this artificial intelligence. But no, if you if you use it as the tool it's meant to be, then I think it's very empowering. I'm going to give Richard a gift because I read an article recently that combined the concepts of AI art and chat. Okay. Mm -hmm. Imagine a world where you're on Netflix or you're on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. Okay. And instead of selecting art that someone else has created in the form of visual art movies, you can go, okay, I'd like Brad Pitt from 1994, Steve McQueen from Bullet. I'd like Gene Hackman from uh, uh, The French Connection. And you know what? Throw in uh, Sir Laurence Olivier uh, doing uh, Zeus from uh, uh, Clash of the Titans. And I'd like them to be on a spaceship in another galaxy fighting vampire zombies. And then it writes you and creates this movie. And you watch it as it generates it in real time based on your inspiration. And then you can post it to your social media or your YouTube share it or monetize it as you see fit expressing visual auditory and creative arts in a way that you as a person who's paraplegic or simply un untalented visually can create something amazing 
Have you heard or seen the movie Simone? I haven't. So it's a movie with Al Pacino. It came out in 2002. And it's mm -hmm. about this movie producer who somehow get access to this pretty much AI generated woman as an actress. <laughs> and he starts putting her in all these films and movies and creates a movie star, but she's completely fake, not a real person at all. And this was That's, 2002. I think, I, I think I've heard of that now that you mention it. Cause he's like, sort of, there's like a relationship that develops with them and stuff like that. Keep in mind 2002. And when you invented the geriatric Jarvis trademark pending, uh, that was when like AI was the paperclip that popped up when you opened Word. You know, what I mean? it was like, "Hey, do you need to create an Express Excel spreadsheet?" Like that's where AI was at this point. So yeah. it's very forward thinking. Very um, forward thinking. The ability to create art, to create science, to take—imagine you are, are want to create math, or you want you have an interest, but maybe there are certain restrictions you have. Maybe you're not the best at math, but you love yeah. the stars, and suddenly you can follow your passion and still create something amazing. I don't see how that's a net negative over time. We just can't make ourselves slaves to the robots, which Richard, you guys, robot means slave. So we just have to make sure the relationship stays in the right balance, I think. True. So, so I mean, one, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, JT. Please. No, 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 go ahead. So one of the, another big idea that I actually was talking to a buddy of mine about and something I would like to see, and I've been using ChatGPT for about a week or so now. Have either of you had a chance to use it? I, I got on and it gave me a message that like too many people were using it. So I haven't had yeah. a chance to really fiddle with it. I've been fiddling with it for weeks and I use it, I've been using it way too much. Um, but one thing I would love to see, and personally, I've been using Grammarly a lot. Have you guys heard familiar use, with that? I use Grammarly all the time. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite things, right? Um, I would love to see a kind of, okay, three combination of things that I would like to see. And Richard, you, you can have naming rights. Um, <laughs> A, a Grammarly tool that I can pour my information into my writings that I'm writing for whatever I'm writing. And it can, of course, improve my writing, but also leveraging AI to increase my writing ability in the sense of it starts to understand my tonalities, my preferences for say, maybe, and this is a factual thing. I try not to write, if it's a formal email, I try not to use contractions mm -hmm. or there are certain vocabulary words that I just prefer to use. So mm -hmm. it could understand my vocabulary, understand my writing preferences. You know, maybe I like a dangling modifier every now and again right. <laughs> or certain, you know, you know, that makes my personal writing style. Right. Because everything right now is becoming so robotic. You know, um, professors in the university level can't tell if a person wrote this, if a robot wrote it. And they're trying to suss that out. If I can have a personal AI and this is an overarching theme mm -hmm. that can understand how I write, how I communicate understand my jokes, understand my temperament, my approach. And, you know, I may love using exclamation marks. So mm -hmm. it would actually be able to learn my writing style and then it can help me write things faster because right. it can then help propose things but based on how I speak and that can evolve over time. The second part of it is I'm a big fan of the PARA methodology or the second brain. Mm -hmm. So I've been moving everything into Notion right now, which is a whole thing. So I have all my passions. I have my notes. I have books that I'm planning on reading. I have books that I've read with all of my notes and quotes and takeaways and other references points that I want to connect or other authors. Um, I have all of my notes, all the meetings, everything that I've done from a professional standpoint, all of this in one place. I would love an AI to be able to consume that and engage me if I'm writing a note, if I'm writing an email, if I'm writing a paper, 
oh, this quote that you read in this book seems to be fitting. Or mm -hmm. this article that you stored, that you've read, that you highlighted and have notes on mm -hmm. seems to be fitting. Like all of the amalgamation of things that I know, because of course we know the human brain works better off of recognition than recall. So if I can mm -hmm. engage in AI as a personal AI to know what I know, because I'm feeding it external data, books, quotes, things that I've actually consumed that I've saved, if it can take all of that in and start to remind me of those things um, at pertinent time points, if I'm writing or articulating a concept, oh, this sounds like the theory of um, the second, for example, um, I'm writing a article, I've been writing it for 10 years, but it's the concept of acceleration, which is not what I thought it was. Um, any movement forward, backwards, left, right is considered acceleration as long as you're moving is the direction. So I want to write an article about acceleration, but for entrepreneurs, the notion of no matter which way you go, you're able to move. But now I have to bring in Newton's second and third law of physics to explain acceleration and how object in motion remains in motion, but also an object with equal and opposite force can stop that. So mm -hmm. leveraging thermodynamic principles into an article <laughs> about entrepreneurship is not the common thing. So to right. me, I would not expect an AI to write that article. However, if I consume 10 or 15 different articles about thermodynamics, Newton's laws, articles from HBR about entrepreneurship, and I'm consuming all of those things, when mm -hmm. I go to write that article, that AI can be an assist. It's, oh, this quote here, you're, you're, you know, you've, what you've written already is tapping on this thing let me tap in. So it becomes a writing partner in the sense of it can help me finish my thought. It can help me pull references and pull quotes and have all of this data visually around to surface mm -hmm. in the article and allow me to use my brain's natural power and recognition to then orchestrate the article. So then I become the conductor as opposed to just the person playing the instrument. And that's the idea. Honestly, it what made me think of is when Richard mentioned that I'd seen the boxer shorts or the boxing shorts and then I had the boxing quotes. It it's the sort of thing that would remind you that maybe yes. that's why you thought the thought you just had and then pull exactly. relevant information. I have the perfect name. We're stealing it. But if Tesla can call themselves Tesla, then Total Recall is absolutely what you need to name this app. <laughs> okay. Total Recall. I like I'm it. Mine Quaid because that's the star. Yeah. Uh, but it's fascinating. And I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, that blew my mind just a minute ago that you yeah. were saying how the, how the brain works. Mm -hmm. Is that we're better at recognition than remembering, right? right? Like or like whatever. What was it? Was a recognition and remembering? Was that it was too harsh? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So like that to me is like you're so true, right? Somebody will say something and it'll immediately for me prompt something else, and it's like now mm -hmm. I can contribute to it. But that's such a cool part because you're right. I mean, I, I that's been my personal experience. Now I know we're running short on time, but the last thing I want to do here with you for, for JT is I want you to tell me the top three things that you're most excited about how you would apply AI as it continues to grow and evolve. What have you recognized? Because, right, you're the futurist. You're seeing this. You saw it 15 years ago, right, with supporting people with dementia and how that you can help them live better lives and their experiences can be better for them and their families. So that being said, what are, you, what are the three things you're like, I just can't wait. I mean, you're already using AI with ChatGPT and all that stuff. But, like, yeah. what are the things as this evolves, what are the three things you're most excited about going, I'm going to tap into this and use it? Goodness, I have a list of AIs that I'm really excited to use, um, but I've only really used ChatGPT that's had the most impact. I've used other ones previously and it just didn't really do much. Um, but I would say, first and foremost, I found that if I need to jumpstart an article, an email, I will say 
ChatGPT is a great jumpstart for jump start, mm -hmm. jump starting point. The reason I say that is because a lot of times, um, and this impacts myself as well. If I'm writing something like a post for school or anything like one of my students or, or an email or I have to go through a complicated thing or multi-step process, the first thing I do is I write an outline. So I say, okay, introduction, this point, I want to hit this point, I want to hit this point, and then I do a summary. So I'll have like four to five bullet points before I write pretty much anything outside of an email, unless it's like a report, you know, a really long email. Um, but, but being able to feed that to an, and having an AI partner to be able to help jumpstart that content or jumpstart the conversation in my brain, that to me is the most valuable part. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need it to write it for me, but the idea that I can have a partner, I mean, mm -hmm. it's the idea of having a buddy you can call and say, hey, how would you say this? Or what's what's your, how do you approach this situation? Like that kind of camaraderie in the sense of, oh, here's a great way to say that. I mean, how many but times on do demand. you need to write? On demand. On it's demand. There. I but how many that. times if I want to do something, do I Google template, resume template or right. contract template or what about this clause? Like, you know, all of these things we're Googling for. Um, but to your to another point and kind of a bit of a prediction, I do see AI replacing Google. Mm -hmm. I do yeah, see. I and maybe I'll put it this way. I feel like Google is going to evolve into a, instead of a just a search chat box. It's going to be an AI companion interaction. So if I'm asking for something, and I've even seen on TikTok, people have figured out how to turn ChatGPT from an API perspective into Siri. So you get much more curated responses as opposed to just a list of links. Right. Um, one of my favorite books I read while I was an undergrad and one of my favorite courses, which was about media theory, it talked about the, the book was called The Cult of the Amateur. And it talked about how we were entering a day and age, and this was early, early, um, you know, 2008, 2009. Um, Everyone will have a platform. Everyone will have a megaphone. Before that, you had to be vetted. There were gatekeepers. You had to be someone in order to get a show. And now everyone can have their own network. Everyone can have their own platform. Everyone has a Patreon. We have a show. We're idiots. Fans. Everyone has one. Everyone has a podcast. Everyone yeah. has a YouTube. You know, like so. It's hard to differentiate the value or the experience of individuals. Like I know you two have vast experience. You know, so I'm excited for it. But we all know that disinformation is huge nowadays. And so having an AI partner, having an intelligent you know, way to search the internet, internet is going to be really important. So I can see instead of just a search box, it becomes a chat box and say, hey, we were, you were researching this before. Is this connected to this? Or then you can go down the rabbit hole and start to store all those things in your second brain because then it will remember the conversations that you had and it can provide contextually smart recommendations as opposed to whoever paid for the highest ad now don't get me wrong they're probably going to monetize ai as well and the recommendations will start to be tailored based on you know whatever the paid model is going to be but i do think that's going to be super important so that's two first thing around prompts getting started second one around just the whole replacing the chat and i mean the the search interaction to yeah. more and more intelligent and more um contextually aware one and I'm trying to think of the third. I've used the whole visual AI, like create me an image, create me a visual. Um, I don't think it's there just yet. I've used it for a couple of things to kind of see how it processes. And I've thrown some tough questions at these AIs. Um, but right now, I think it's surface level. If you ask it for a summary, if you ask it for a synopsis, if you ask it for a general understanding of certain things, it is fantastic for that right now. 
any type of deep thought, any type of transformative statement, anything like that, it's, I don't think it's ever going to get there. Um, I would, however, like to see um, what I'm calling like intersectionality, the ability to bring principles from one theory into another to help people critically think. Um, yeah. But again, it's not there yet. So I think I have two for you, Rich. I don't think I have three. All right. That's all right. So we'll have to have a part three to get the third one. So that's what it sounds like to me. JT, I can't thank you enough, man. This was awesome. We just all over the place. We talked about everything. Wow, and, anything. So and I know for a fact our listeners are going to get an absolute gem today. I mean, the, the name of the podcast is going to be the Geriatric Jarvis. So why wouldn't they? I like Pinky Promise that it'll, that'll only be in parentheses after the actual title. <laughs> By the way, I just checked uh, Total Recall.ai is actually already taken. So we're going to find another name. And I'm not using right. Geriatric hey, Jarvis. That's okay. That's okay. It's not fine. I don't, I don't, it's, we're just creating. We're, we're, uh, we're riffing. We're brainstorming here. Jarvis with a gene. So it can be alliteration. Ooh, that works. Yeah, yeah. That would be garbage, though. That yeah, yeah. You know, well, it depends on who you ask with the with the gifts. But anyway, um, the thing that I liked uh, that tied into what you mentioned was the collation of ideas. The idea that someone at Harvard published this paper, someone over at Oxford or somewhere else published this, and then helping to recognize that those systems can be integrated in unique ways, and maybe they're yeah. more related than those two people who've never met might realize, and then a third person can can benefit from it. The, the main takeaway from, my, from me for this was that no matter where we are in time, it's always changing. That no matter where we are in our own lives, if you can embrace that life is always changing, you can find opportunity. And that fear is what stands in our way. That, like you said, if you fail to quit, if you accept that life, you don't lose until life is over. And if you believe nope. in spirituality, you don't lose even then. So if you persevere, then everything, every advancement is just a tool. Literacy, the printing press, were both fearful. War of the Worlds was a radio show in the early 20th century, had people running through the streets thinking they were all going to die because tripods were invading London. And instead, we do see the benefits that, on the whole, the net benefits of technology always outweigh the bad. All you have to do is remember that they enhance the human experience and they don't hold it down. And I think people tend to give into fear and helplessness instead. I could not agree more. And I have a closing quote, if that's okay. Let's do it. And this actually, it's one of my wife's favorites. It's from Einstein. Um, Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre mind. The mediocre mind is incapable of understanding the man who refuses to bow blindly to conventional prejudices and chooses instead to express his opinions courageously and honestly. That's a fantastic. It. And it, we can't do anything better. Yeah. It was great to have you on, JT. I, yes, I hope buddy. We'll, definitely, uh, we'll be tapping you again, man. We super appreciate it. Thank yeah, you so much. I look forward to it. One. We'll talk to you soon. God, I love that guy so much. He's the absolute best. Another hard-hitting episode for sure. I got to run. Yeah, of course. But, uh, yeah, this was outstanding. I loved it. I loved just all of the ways that it, we navigated the conversation. JT has always got so much to offer. We, this could have been a 13-hour podcast. We just need to take him to dinner. Like We keep having podcasts because we want to just sit down and have dinner. So we got to just make that happen sometime. All right. That's happening, but, uh, Richard, as always, it's been a pleasure. Yep, we'll be back with another hard-hitting episode very soon of Untold Riches. That's all we got for you guys. We'll go out with our silly normal way. Let's do it. See y'all. See ya.